Hey everybody, what's going on? Welcome back to the Web Show Podcast. I'm Ben. Uh, my name's Ethan. And I'm Will. Today we're going to be basically talking about the advancements of cool technology in cool ways. Pretty much focusing, I mean, our starting topic is going to be based off of, and this is what spurred the thought to think about this, it's the 3090... Yeah, NVIDIA GeForce just released a new 3090, so they just released their new series, and it is insane. And for us nerds that have no idea what you're talking about, what are you talking about? So that's a graphics card. NVIDIA is a graphics card company. They make... NVIDIA slash GeForce is the architecture or, like, the actual, like, brain structure of graphics cards that everybody, every other company uses, um, well, to an extent. So, you'll have NVIDIA slash GeForce cards as well as AMD or, in this case, RMD cards, which are made by a second company. Um, so as far as the NVIDIA GeForce side, they create the architecture, so a lot of the times, they'll come out with the first, like... In this case, the 3090, which is an absolutely insane card with, I think it was 24 gigs of RAM on it, of video RAM. Now, for those of you who are probably like, Who are still lost. Yeah. Basically, uh, we're talking about 8K graphics in a graphics card, which basically means there are 8,000 pixels on a screen, which means is going to be looking nice. 8,000 pixels across the screen on one line, right? right? In your computer. I think that's how they count it. Maybe. But anyway, like, so as we've known so far, 4K has been like, oh, wow, this beautiful view. It's so good. Like, but now there's 8K. And I don't even, I don't think my brain can even, like, fathom how that's going to be looking. Mm -hmm. We got a 4K TV not too long ago. And watching, like, uh, we were, we were watching the, the PGA golf tour, like, last week or whatever, two weeks ago maybe, and we were watching it, and we're like, wow, this looks like, like, I could see this golf course, like, it looks like I'm there, you know what I mean? So, if that's a 4K TV, what is 8K going to look like, and more importantly, what does that mean for gaming? Yeah. So, so go ahead, Will. Well, yeah, I was going to say, because they, they've already come out with uh, quote-unquote 8K virtual reality headsets and they're massive things that have they're i think they're almost like a foot wide because each screen inside is 4k so it's technically 8k of visuals but um i just looked it up to make sure and yeah it's 7680 by 4320 16 by 9 aspect ratio so what does that mean for vr no, for like 8K screens, like oh. 8K resolution. So 16 by 9 means 16 inches across, 9 inches up and down mm-hmm. um, on like, if you had a, it's the ratio. So if you have a thousand pixels up, up top, you'll have whatever the you'll have like ratio half. would you'll be. You'll have like yeah. 600 something. 600. So, but that's absolutely massive because 4K is only 3,200 something. And this was, what What did you say? It was 7,680 7, so by like 4,000 something. Yeah. It's double and remember eight bit and like how that's still a prominent gaming style, but like that that's like yeah. If you think of the old like Donkey Kongs or Mario's or whatever, right. those were eight bit, so that had eight pixels, right? Well, it, it, 
eight bit isn't the pixels necessarily. It's just the how the game was structured. Because now we're up to like your, um, you know, how your computer might say like if you're in the files, it'll say like program files x eighty six. Sure. Um, that's modern computers run on two different systems, which is thirty two bit and sixty four bit, which means the processor can calculate you know sixty four pieces of data bits every time structure. Yeah. So every tick or whatever. Um, so 8-bit just has a reference to that. So with that slower computing, they could only do so much graphics computing, So which led to that as far as that goes. I gotcha. Get, I guess to, like, avoid... I mean, I'm always down for educationals, but, like, what are your thoughts for, like, how this is going to affect? Because, like, they can't be too far away from getting this stuff on, like... Well, I mean, they can be far away for 8K, but I'm saying, like, imagine a 4K VR headset and just, like, what that means, like... It looks, it could be the same, but that just changes the experience completely. Right. And I think the, I think the Rift S, because I, I have a VR headset, and I think the Rift S runs at 1920 by 1080, so it's not crazy resolution. I mean, it's like average for today's term. 1080, that's like the highest YouTube quality that you can get right. normally. Right. right. So that's 1080p. So there's 1080p, which is 1080 pixels, and is then it? 4K. 1920 is and the now 8k 8k which is 7,000 so um it's 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 an average 1920 by 1080 or 1080p um whatever you want to call it it's like the average because like you said it's it's the top quality hd for youtube right and so having one of those per eye like it's not when you're playing and stuff it's not noticeable but like if you specifically look for it you can tell that it's very pixely and like you because you're so close to the screen um, there's only so much you can do. And they put stuff like V-Sync, which uh, matches the frame rate to the actual screen itself, uh, and a bunch of other settings to, like, fix it so it seems more smooth. Um, but, like, with 4K, like you were saying, like, it would be nearly impossible to figure out, like, or to, to distinguish between the pixels in a VR headset, and especially, like, moving up to 8K once that's possible. And, like... I don't know. It's just crazy to think about because it's not that far in the future. So I guess the for all you Animu nerds out there, uh, I guess the question would be, how long till it's something like Sword Art? Like how many years for like full dive? Uh, you your arms are part of the thing. It's like, how long do you think something like that would take? Uh, I don't know. That's a completely different. The haptics. It's different, but... Well, I think we're still away, a ways from that. But I think it's closer than people think. And I think it's going to be a much bigger deal. Like, I can imagine some someone, even my parents' age, be like, oh, that's, that's, that's not going to, you know, be that big of a deal. It's just like, you can go feel like you're inside the game or it's, it'd just be like VR... Too, you know, where you can actually feel stuff or whatever. But I think electric. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's going to be a much bigger deal than that. I think it's going to have huge implications for not only gaming but real life. Have you ever? Well, it's kind of like there's a couple of movies that come to my mind uh, with this topic. The first one is Ready Player One, obviously, right. which um, the whole movie was about this VR system called the Oasis, where everyone could go inside. And it had its own, you know, money system and whatever. You could buy games. You could buy stuff in your VR world 
and they even sent students to school in VR because it was so much cheaper. They didn't have to have a physical building. They didn't have to have a bus. They didn't have to have heating, air conditioning, mechanics, anything like that. And I, uh, if I can interject real quick, I think that's, you know, I can't remember what the actual saying is, but like, um, it's like disaster leads to invention or something like that. Yeah. And I think that's going to be a big thing. Like if, you know, COVID happened like five years later when VR is a common thing, I think that would absolutely be something that could happen where COVID now is creating where everybody's home or most people are home or have the choice to stay home and do e-learning there. And with something like VR, you would be able to do, like, you'd be able to, you know, um, search through the solar system. Like, people could, you know, go through something like that and... um, Basically, it makes things possible in education... That previously weren't. That weren't possible before. You know, like, you could take a field trip and you'd have to get approved by the school. You'd have to get enough money to go to the museum. You'd have to get bus transport. You'd have to get all the parent signatures, parental approval, and whatnot. And uh, if your classroom was virtual and online and there was no physical classroom in the first place, then you could go anywhere in the world uh, through VR and on field trips and stuff like that. But we can get more into education. It's literally just the magic school bus. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We can get more into education a little bit later, but the other movie that I was going to say this reminds me of is the movie um, Surrogates, which I don't know if you guys have ever seen that. But it's an interesting movie. Basically, the plot is they have come up with a VR system, except it's uh, you have your avatar is a real avatar in the w- real world, and you're at your house, and it's basically a robot. And the premise of the movie is that they've decided that outside world is too dangerous, and to avoid murders and rapes and things like that, it's much safer if our robots just go outside into the real world and do everything for us. So everyone just sits at home all day inside their robot, and they have their robot go out and do stuff, and then the movie takes off from there. So that's the other movie that this topic reminds me of. Yeah. Now, yeah, that's a bit crazy, and I don't, I don't think it'll ever become that. I mean, it could, but, like, I, I feel like iRobot, too, yeah. Pretty similar premise, I think. Mainly just, like... Yeah, I'm, iRobot, though... The robots are, have an AI. They're yeah. like and it's butlers not and stuff. Controlled and, by humans. Yeah, yeah they just like go crazy. Ah, go crazy. Uh, <laughs> um, but so with the Neuralink, I don't know if you know what that is. Is it the new? Um, I is say it real Steve or fictional? Jobs. All right, let me pitch you this because it is one hundred percent real. All right, Elon Musk, big inventor boy. Oh, for he about a year ago demonstrated his first trial run of Neuralink, which he put on a rat, and basically you could see all of its like electrons crackling. Of course, the rat is not dead because it is alive. Mm-hmm. It might not be now. That was a year ago. <laughs> rat. Um, I don't know the lifespan of a rat, but um, but the second and this is the cooler one. The second trial run, he put it on a monkey, mm-hmm. and the monkey was actually able to like move around and control a computer with its brain like without touching it yeah see that's cool but then like you know the whole it was also a monkey so it did not properly control it right right but <laughs> and you'll never get it approved to test it on humans until ever. you get like what would that be like 
volunteer runs. Right, yeah. they'd have to volunteer. And even then, you have to get it. your experiments <laughs> approved on whatever. Uh, let me preface by saying, I wouldn't do it right now. Yeah. <laughs> I would yeah. do it whenever it's like, yeah, this is 99.99% safe. And I'm like... And your brain is not going to get fried. There's no way I would lose a 10,000% chance, or 1 in 10,000 chance, right? And then I'd lose it, and I'd right. be like, darn exactly. it. <laughs> right. But I mean, like, even then, if it's only reading what your brain is putting out, then would it really be harmful to you? But I was... I don't know. To me, that seems very much because with the Neuralink, if that's something that you put in your head, then you can get tracked. You're gonna start getting ads. Ooh, imagine in your viruses. Head. Yeah. Getting a virus, you could take control of some. I don't know. Just, okay. Imagine. <laughs> then you have to worry about physical and electronic viruses. Yeah, exactly. Um, so imagine the data crisis that Facebook had a little bit a little while ago, right? right. Where they were caught doing the thing that we all knew they were doing, which was selling our data to China, to companies that, you know, make products and they can advertise directly towards the consumer, each individual consumer. And we, everybody kind of had an idea that, you know, companies, our phones, our social media are tracking our cookies and what we look at and what we like. You know, if you go on your YouTube, my YouTube homepage is completely different probably than yours yeah. or even yours, even though we have the same interests, right. most of them. Imagine we put this thing in our head and it tracks not only our cookies, our virtual footprint, but our thoughts. Yeah, that's another thing. I don't want what I think to be out in the world. Like Right. So, like, I can control this computer with my mind, right? So that means my thoughts the electromagnetic waves in my brain or whatever are being amplified through this thing in my head and transmitted to the computer. How does that work for my subconscious thoughts? Are they just constantly being transmitted? It's just like 50 tabs open with like <laughs> this random stuff. I want to kill that guy. <laughs> just opens up a tab in like the uh, deep web and it's like an <laughs> assassin. Goes immediately to a red room. And you're like, no, I don't want to do this. And then it just like clicks confirm because your subconscious is like, I want to do this. Uh-huh. Well, I mean, our phone, like S-I-R-I on the iPhone already listens to everything that we say. Right. And so does A-L-E-X-A. So it's just, it'd be the next step up from that. And how, as the producer, Elon Musk, how would you convince people that your privacy is protected? Right. But I think, I mean, to an ex- to a certain extent, like, yeah, I want my privacy, and that's, that's important to mm-hmm. me. But, like, if you're a normal person, what's what's the problem with, like, Alexa listening to you? Because Alexa or S-I-R-I mm-hmm. constantly is listening because they have that wake feature. So mm-hmm. they have to be, your microphone is always on, always listening. Personally, I don't have a problem with that because that's, like... Okay, it's it's more of a convenience of the feature itself than really any... Because, like, yeah, if you're maybe, like, a criminal or, like, definitely don't want to be tracked for whatever reason, maybe then it's not really a good idea to have that kind of thing because you want to be, quote-unquote, off the grid. But, like I said, personally, I don't see a problem with, like, a little bit is okay, everything is not okay. You know what we ought to do and would be, like, a cool follow-up to this video? What ought we do? We oughta each, like, grab one of our parents mm-hmm. and just, like, talk about this 
I'm not your dad. <laughs> For those of you who didn't get the visual joke on the podcast, <laughs> we'll just grab Ben, literally. Um, we ought to get them here and just like do a follow-up to this exact same conversation, but like see the generational divide on like how would you deal with this Neuralink situation. Yeah. Yeah, I think they're going to be much more against it than, than we are. Because think about when they were our age, right? The internet didn't even exist. Yeah. So privacy, unless you were literally writing in a diary and sending it, and someone like could see your diary and all your thoughts or whatever, then... Mail the copy to everybody yeah, in the United exactly. States. You accidentally mail it to China. Mail, <laughs> yeah, you mail it to companies in China. Like, I really want a new shoe that's yellow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, their privacy was at an all-time high, right? Because unless you're specifically sharing things with people, you right. don't have a digital footprint. You don't have anything like that. And so just how far they've come from that point even to now is amazing. And then to think about the next step, what would that be? I can't remember what it was, but the other day it was like the 35th – somebody has a sale for the 35th anniversary – of something and I cannot remember what maybe it was like a Nintendo thing but mm-hmm. like I was like 35th anniversary what the heck and it was I cannot remember for the life of me what 35 it was. years ago was 1985 by the right, way right exactly so like it's just crazy because you see like 1985 the internet wasn't real we barely had computers and like basic functioning computing no, machines personal computers yeah so like to think that we went from and, like, even that's one thing that amazes me. I'm sorry, my ADHD is getting to me. But just thinking about the split from the time, like, within a year or two, I think, Steve Jobs and Bill Gates, I don't know if it was around the same time, um, but, like, within, like, less than a year, we went to having, like, no such thing as a personal computer. You might have had, like, the feed the strip in with all the punch outs. Yeah. And it, Computer, Although I doubt many people had a use for those. Right. Unless they're scientists. Well, it would be like at a university or something right. like that. But, um, like, those were the first computers, I would say, functionally. And then, like, within, like, one or two years, Bill Gates and Steve Jobs both made their own personal computer and shrunk everything down because they didn't need all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. And that just amazes me that, like, I know it wasn't that fast specifically, but, like, moving from a world of complete privacy and these two people just started this mass movement of technology because like and now look where we're at yeah exactly right we have you know the most powerful computers to ever exist well not the most powerful but in our pockets every single person in the world yeah and like the the thing about like the technology in our phones could literally take us to the moon. It's more powerful than everything right. that they had in NASA more, in the 1969. Well, more computing per second power. Right. Yeah. And that just, it's crazy to me because like with as much as that is, like they seem so simple. Yeah. It seems like something that we quote unquote need just to, you know. Right. And this was an interesting, this is going to go, jumping back on the parents conversation. Right. Um, I was talking about, my dad was talking about uh, the dopamine rat. I don't know if you heard of that experiment where there was a rat and uh, when it had a thing connected to its brain where whenever it pushed this button, it got a hit of dopamine mm-hmm. in its brain, which is the um, satis- satisfaction yeah. uh, chemical, right? right? And eventually, they didn't put any limits on the button. And eventually, the rat pushed the button 
continuously, literally to the point where it got so tired that it passed out and it was exhausted. Uh, and then eventually this rat was so addicted to dopamine that uh, it wouldn't do anything except for push, push the, button. the button. It didn't even eat. It didn't drink water. It ignored its bodily functions and cravings to push the button and get the dopamine. And that is the same effect that happens when we get a notification on our phone mm-hmm. or we do something uh, like that. And they're saying we're becoming so addicted to our phones and the dopamine that we can no longer focus on long tasks. A lot There's a huge spike in um, attention disorders and stuff like that. And um, we say, okay, boomer. Yeah. <laughs> and then we just ignore right. them and get back on our phones. Yeah. But then I, then I started talking, you know, like really if I'm not, the only person that I talk to most of the time on my phone is my girlfriend, Maddie. Right. And when she's with me in the room, I don't check my phone nearly as much. And I think that leads to some people's uh, relationship problems, right? Right. Because if you're in constant communication with someone, then you're going to be trying to continuously bring up new conversations. And you're going to be learning everything about them much more quickly than you ever could, right? Right. So now... Society has this thing called the talking phase, right. where uh, you meet someone on the internet that you like, and uh, you just talk to them, and you get to know them, and because we have uh, our phones, and because we can be available 24-7, we're expected to be available 24-7, so right. you can continuously talk back and forth with one another, which means you're going to learn all these things about them much more quickly than you would otherwise, which means you can decide whether or not you like them much sooner. Right. And that leads to a lot of relationships not even taking off in the first place because you learn all this bad, well, not necessarily bad stuff, but, but it you, can be bad stuff. Yeah, you might find some red flags here and there that are like, oh, maybe I don't want to, whatever. Exactly, and I think that's leading to some people's relationship problems like they can't stay in a relationship they go in and out of a bunch of relationships right they never get into, they a, never relationship. Get into a relationship <laughs> and my parents they literally had to send each other letters yeah. like my mom and dad sent each other letters when they were in college because there was one floor on the dorm there was one phone on the dorm room floor in right. the middle of the hallway and if you wanted to talk to someone you had to call on that phone i can just imagine like just a red phone like a red Dial-up phone. Or, yeah. And you're just, like, sitting on a small end table, like, that you would put in the middle of the room. In literally the center of the hallway. Yep. And you just walk out your door, and you're like, well, hey. But you know what? That's probably better than, dearest Mrs. Ethan's mom, <laughs> I quite fancy you. Sign, <laughs> Mr. Ethan's dad. It probably wasn't like that, but it was probably like, <laughs> it wasn't like, hey, what's up? Oh, nothing much. What about you? Oh, nothing much. You know, that kind of thing. Snail mail. SMS <laughs> snail mail. <laughs> yeah. They, they said one letter one day. Hey, what's up? They get a letter five days later. Not much. What about you? Hey, you want to come chill? Winky face on the paper. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you want to hear a joke? Oh, I would love that. Maybe I will start sending letters like that. No, please no. don't. <laughs> yeah, I think you'd enjoy them. See, Ethan, you got a letter from Ben? <laughs> <laughs> That's the funny thing, though, because, like, it's now not become a necessity to send letters, but it's just become, like, you know, a cute, like, 
do this because you love somebody or whatever. Mm-hmm. Because uh, this past year in college, two of my friends from pep band um, started dating, and they're like, oh, what if we got each other something super small that could fit inside of an envelope, wrote a letter, and then sent it? And since it's, since it's all on campus, they just sent it through the mail, and it was, like, there in right. the day. But it was still, like, the thought of it. Like, I'm like, this is not a normal thing, but it's become... It's almost like... Uh, a romantic thing. Like, just a romantic gesture, rather than, like, a mean of talking. Right. It's almost like when we get to automatic cars that can drive us anywhere, it's like going out and driving manually, just because you want to. Right. Driving for sport, mm-hmm. rather right. than driving out of necessity. Oh, yeah. And I think it goes because of the extra effort that's required, right? Right. Like, you literally have to write it out, and then you have to get an envelope, and you put a stamp on it, and you have to put it in the mail, and then you have to wait. So. Like, yeah, these these things that used to be means of, like, I don't know, communication, driving, uh, they'll never, like, completely die off. Those are there to stay because, like, of, I mean... A, they had a massive effect, so they will be known in history as, like, something that was just, you know, a normal thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, like, for driving, there's NASCAR. I mean, <laughs> there's it's not going to be automatic for those races right, and stuff. Right, right. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's just cool. Like, everything's changing. That would be kind of cool, though, to see where it is automatic racing cars. Because mm. with as fast as computers can calculate... Yeah, then it just turned into, it what, would, what's the fastest machine you can build? Well, exactly, but it's also like, if you have to build your own system, you it's not pre-programmed, you don't get the software, you have to build everything, and instead of, you know, you wouldn't have car mechanics, well, you would, but it wouldn't you wouldn't have a driver you would have they'd be like a, a uh, software engineer. software engineer yeah on this, on the, in the pit crew <laughs> you yeah, get so a software like, engineer with like a macbook and he's like oh i gotta reprogram yeah so like every you know in, instead of making a pit stop and just filling up fuel changing the tires you would make a pit stop and you would plug in and change you know fuel content like how much it's shooting into the engine how much air it's pulling you know mm-hmm. all this stuff about the engine itself to try to make it more efficient faster you know whatever to fit the race to challenge everybody else and i think that would be actually be really interesting to watch because it's you know how do you beat perfection right although you know the people have said this about basketball too like can't we just get a robot to play basketball and i would never miss but then that kind of takes the the fun out of sport out of it right and i think this would be a it would still be a sport because it would still be humans trying to design the fastest car you know what i mean so that wouldn't take out of it. Uh, me and you actually had a con- similar conversation to this on vacation um, about self-driving cars. And right. you said you were against it because you're like, you know, I don't want the novelty of like getting out and actually driving to go away. Right. And um, then I said, well, I think, well, the reason I'm bringing this up because I, I believe it fits into our topic of what is the future of technology going to look like. Right. Uh, if you have self-driving cars mm-hmm. right and they have sensors all over them so they're never going to crash into another car if that other car is also self-driving then you could have roads where you can just go as fast as the car will allow right you mm-hmm. can have 120 mile an hour highways because the cars aren't going to crash into each other so i think there's going to be something that happens where there's going to be a, another interstate system where there's going to be you know roads of interstates that you know 
are for the self-driving cars and they're like really straight and there's like very few exits and stuff like that where you know the car can just go 120 130 miles an hour just straight and you get to your destination yeah, super fast yeah like the automatic interstate or something like yeah that. and then there's going to be the the old school quote roads where people can just go out and drive for fun drive for sport I'm imagine just, uh, i'm just imagining like normal cars and self-driving cars on the same highway and like <laughs> they give the self-driving cars horns so like if a normal car just like drives and cuts them off their road rage is just beep beep <laughs> It has like a binary angry face. And you just wake up and you're like, what? Because you're like asleep, just chilling with the self-driving. Which I think is, I think you're still going to have to like be awake, sentient, stuff like that. Yeah, like, yeah. like kind of how the Tesla, I think you have to be holding on to the wheel or something like yeah, that. Yeah, the Tesla, the video that I saw, you have to touch the steering wheel once every 90 seconds. Right. But one thing that like, just imagining interstates today, whole six, eight lanes becoming mm-hmm. super highway back roads. Oh, because if they're going to build new interstates like straight for these automatic cars, they build these new interstates, and then you have these six, ten, ten-lane highways hmm. that become quote-unquote backroads. Because nowadays, it's backroads are like two lanes or even like one and a half lanes out in the middle of the country. But when right. there's automatic, um, automatic high or yeah, automatic car highways that are hundred plus mile an hour because everything's like you said automated that won't run into each other. Mm-hmm. Also think about uh, traffic. Traffic will no longer get backed up because right. there will be infinitely less crashes, so which lead to less traffic jams. Right. And yeah. you can have cars at stoplights just kind of weave in and out of each other, and they're just programmed to never hit each other. And I think one, one cool thing, really quickly before I forget about it, is you know how a while back there was like a bunch of like talk about actual like um, Back to the Future-esque hoverboards? Yeah. Where they... Literally, they took superconductors, which is like, I think one of them is like ruby or sapphire or something like that, and they freeze it to like negative 300, 400 degrees Fahrenheit, something like that, almost absolute zero, and then it becomes a superconductor, like an electromagnet, but 10 times stronger, and then they put it on a magnetic reel, and the thing about superconductors, you know how with magnets, it has to be a specific... Like, you can feel the electronic or the magnetic pull on it, and it has yeah. to be a specific way. When you, like, the north and south. Right. With superconductors, they don't have to. So if you had a, a flat sheet of ruby, and you froze it to negative whatever degrees, you could put it on a bar horizontal or vertical, or you could spin it in any direction, and it will stay that way until you take it out of the magnetic field. And you can move it within the magnetic field, but it will always press against it. So it, hmm. it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be on that axis. So like, what if they started making cars that way? Because with a hoverboard, it's nearly impossible to get that cold. But with a car, you could put a put a freezing system in it that would be able to keep it so cold that it would be able to hover. So now roads wouldn't be asphalt; they'd just be a sheet of magnetized Frozen. magnetized metal that these cars that are freezing their wheels or wheels. So it'd be completely frictionless, super efficient. Hmm. Yeah, and then you would, uh, well, you'd have to have some sort of. Well, it'd be like going through space because accelerator. Can, yeah, exactly. Because and then that'd be it, and then we'd just be super fuel efficient after that. Because once you you have to have like an accelerator and some sort of braking system. And it could be completely air powered, if you think about it. Because like how yeah. rocket ships in space, zero friction. They just shoot air out at one g behind them. They move at one g forward. 
there's no friction, there's no whatever. And then that's acceleration. And once you're up to that speed, you don't slow down. Right, and there's no friction. Now, I want to, and this is like grabbing and then like pulling pretty far back. I want to talk more about like full dive VR. Yeah, uh, we were gonna we were gonna jump. I was gonna plan on jumping back into that soon. So yeah. So me and my buddy today at lunch, we were talking about this exact same thing, and he's like, "Man, I cannot wait! I'm gonna do one of these fantasy VR games, and I'm going to be like this crazy warrior magic guy with a spear." I'm like, that's <laughs> that's that's specific, but yeah. And it made me think, A, what if D&D, like, created an entire world just, like, for playing in MMORPG style? And if so, what class would you be? In real life? In, in the VR. Well, yeah, but, like, actually, like, physically be. Like, who you as a person would be. Hmm. I mean, I, I think, personally, I would have to be a magic character. Because, like, yeah, you could be a physical character and be upfront or, like, some sort of physical support, but, like, you can, you can technically do that in real life. You can't cast spells in real life. You, there's no such thing as magic. So having something like that would be absolutely insane. And so You're an fun. artificer. <laughs> <laughs> you, don't, you don't get a choice. Uh, you know what? Honestly, this is going to be a little bit uncharacteristic because I've never done this and I don't. I would want to be like a druid to like turn into animals or like fly or or something like right. that, you know? So I think that would be super cool. Also like cast um like elemental type spells, like they have a lot of ice spells and fire and like lightning and, and stuff like that. So I think that would be really cool. Without a doubt I'd be a bard. Yeah. That's just and like the uh, Will just laughed about this too because in our first D and D campaign, I was a druid and Ethan was a bard, yeah, <laughs> and now we're both bard. just like, "Oh, I'll be the druid, I'll be the bard." Um, yeah, without a doubt, that would be my class. That just, or you know, a warlock. <laughs> yeah, just you know, talk to this fake, or well, well, maybe a VR VR patron. Let me demon pose guy. this though. You could absolutely see me, like, raising undead and just be like, what's up, bros? And giving them high fives and just, like, walking around not having them attack anyone, just, like, being my bros. <laughs> that would be so cool. I just, when you, you know. You have to make your own squad. Hey, hey. <laughs> I don't have to. I just do. Imagine. Okay, so I've been pressuring these guys. This is this is jumping a little bit off off topic, but it's it's kind of there. Uh, Baldur's Gate 3 is a game that's coming out right. where uh, it's like it's it's a video game it's an RPG video game where you play as you know you make your character and you go and you level up and get magical items and stuff like that and um, you know you it's multiplayer so you can play with your friends so mm-hmm. it's like all all of your up to four of your friends can jump into this world and uh, just be your characters and go through the quests that they have set out for you and stuff and I'm just imagining that situation where we just all like all right, guys, let's log on, and we put our VR headsets on, and we all just jump in, and we are actually these characters, and we, right. like, go and explore this world. That'd be so cool. So, bard, druid, and some sort of magic caster? Probably sorcerer, just because sorcerer was, I think, my favorite, or my, well, it was my first character, and I think it is my favorite magic caster, just because sorcerer, you know, you don't have to prepare spells, you don't have to whatever, you just get a certain amount of spells. You just feel it. Yeah. You just do it. Now, that talking about Baldur's Gate, by the way, 
I absolutely want to stream that with you too. Yeah. Oh yeah, that'd be really. That'd cool. be an excellent. That'd be game. the best. That's why I wanted you guys to get Divinity Original Sin, except it's older though, and this is going to be like a brand new game. Yeah. Um, so I anyway. Yeah. So really, really quickly, I want because you were talking about full dive VR and you're like haptic stuff, and I don't know how old it is. I think it's 2017, 2018. Mm-hmm. But um, do you guys know the channel Smarter Every Day? No. Nope. Uh, basically, I don't know how often he releases, but um, on YouTube, there's a channel called Smarter Every Day, and he used to be a NASA scientist. Or okay. Something like that. He worked with, he, he is some sort of scientist or something like that, and it's kind of like the backyard scientist or, um, I can't remember his name, but he does also, he what he worked on the Mars rover, one of the Mars rovers. Mark Rover, there you go. Okay. Um, but the backyard scientist is similar to these channels that he goes around and does all this stuff with like, um, he did, I believe he did like the kilogram, which is like, he went to Europe somewhere and they had like a physical sphere. Um, and the way that they define a kilogram is like of pure silicone. If you have a sphere this big at perfect proportion, like perfectly smooth and round, it would be a kilogram. And so they keep it in this vacuum sealed box and it's like they shaved it layer like atom by atom to get it as smooth as possible Mm. and that is the kilogram that they base everything else off of and so one of the videos that he did was a haptic video where he went to this company and they were working on haptic gloves and so he was able to play their test vr game where you know it was just a little like farm but you could put your hand under the rain and you could feel the rain fall on your hand or you could put your hand out and the fox would jump on it and you could feel it like running That's around cool. and laying down. And like, um, I've been waiting forever because I originally read Ready Player One, which is about haptics and VR and stuff. Mm-hmm. Probably 2016 or 2015 because I got it in like a box or something. I don't remember when it, when when that was. I read Ready Player One before it was cool. Before it was cool. <laughs> But, like, I've been waiting for haptics and stuff forever. And, like, um, you know those muscle stimulators? The electric pads? Yeah, the electric pads. That you yeah, or your... even the um, anti-Parkinson's yeah. things. Where, you know, the Parkinson's disease is where your hands shake uncontrollably while you're trying to use them. And mm-hmm. they have this little patch that you can put on, which is an electric stimulator that goes onto your bicep. And it, you know, uh, sends the electric signals to your brain. To stop the to be able to control your hand. Yeah, it's like um, it's like those sound cancelers. Cause like one instead of just stopping sound, cause sound is a wave, right? Yeah. So to stop sound, you can either you know mute the volume, put stuff in front of it that captures it, or you can do an anti frequency of that. So basically, if it's at its lowest, you send a frequency that at at the sound's lowest, it would be at its highest. Mm-hmm. And it cancels it out. You it's just like the reverse. It, but it's super quiet. The reverse sound wave. So I feel like that's what that would be. But um, there was another company. I think it was like Tesla suit or something like that. Um, but it was a Kickstarter, and they took those, and they used it in a full body haptic suit, and they were working on it to where, because the muscle stimulator, if you send an electric signal at a certain point, like let's say you were pushing up against the wall in the game, it would send a signal to stop your muscles from moving. So it would feel like you're pressing up against this wall. And I, at the time, it was like 2015, 2016, I barely had a job yet. So I would Mm -hmm. have absolutely put money into this. 
but I think their goal was almost like two million or something like that, and they were only at like a couple hundred thousand. But that's where I can see the future going for haptics and stuff. And like it's here, it's just not readily available. Right, and I mean, it makes sense, right? Like everything that we touch or feel is just our our fingers sending an electric signal to our brain, telling us that we're touching the thing. I'm touching Will. Don't stop touching your thing. <laughs> Gosh, no, put put your pants back up. Anyway, uh, yeah. So everything we touch and feel is just an electrical signal that is sent to our brain. So why can't we replicate that? You know what right. I mean? Like I think it's only a matter of time. I guess walking is like the biggest barrier for VR right now because you can't just like walk into a wall. Right. I mean, in real life, right? There are parameters that are like. You don't want to just like walk. You can't walk a mile because in like ten feet you you run into a wall, a literal yeah. wall. Yeah, yeah. So um, unless we have anything more to say about this, I kind of earlier I said we would jump back into uh, the education side of VR and uh, talk about that a little bit more. Um, my dad has brought this up a bunch and. I want to see your, what your guys' thoughts on it were, especially given now um, with the COVID and all classes being online anyway. Um, really my, quickly. Oh, yeah. Go ahead first. Uh, the Smarter Every Day, another channel similar to that. Uh, speaking of the running, they are working on a treadmill that works in all directions, which is really, really cool. And it's definitely something that you should look into. So my dad... Oh, don't you googity-boogity <laughs> at me. Do it. So uh, my dad has brought this up a couple times, and I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on it um, about the future of education and where that's going to go, and specifically higher ed, so college. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, my dad works at a small local uh, state university here in our hometown, and um, he teaches business law, so like contracts and stuff you have to do as a business owner, and... um, so he says he thinks he's going to be out of a job soon because, uh, you know, in the future, technology and video makers and stuff are going to, you know, once Google University comes out, right, where uh, Google has the highest quality video recording software and cameras and stuff, and they hire the best business law professor in the world to come and record an entire class 16 weeks semester worth of class then you know they're just going to put that out online and my dad's saying you know just me being the guy that i am working at a smaller university i'm never going to be able to compete with that so why would anyone come and take my class when they can watch google's version of this class that's better and you know Again, with uh, Ready Player One, where they were talking about, we were talking about how the classroom was in VR and the kids went to school in VR because, you know, there was no building, there's no physical building, there was no mechanics, there's no heating, cooling. Uh, they didn't have to give the kids lunch because uh, they weren't physically there. You know, it just makes too much sense to go all online and, uh, and avoid those costs, skip those costs, and get the kids the same education that they're getting. And I want to get your guys' opinion on that, especially, like I said, with COVID right now and all classes being online, 
how do you feel about online classes? And do you think because of COVID and because of the way that online classes are right now, do you think it will be a success or failure? Well, let me just start off by saying I hate online classes. <laughs> me too. Um, basically, I think it does make too much sense. Like, it's way too efficient for, I mean, it sucks, but, I mean, that's how it is. I'd rather be sitting down. I know that it's, like, way more cost going into it, uh, but I think that it is almost certainly going to be, like, within the next 10 years we switch over. Well, here's... I just thought of... Well, I have one thing that I, like, in general, but the thing that you said with, like, the one person at Google University, like you said... Mm -hmm. Think about, like, let's say you're going into a physical orientation job. So a mechanic or a plumber or something like that. Obviously, you would go and be an apprentice somewhere. But in that aspect, even in any other aspect, it would still work the same. But, like, think about hundreds of thousands of people in one class. So, like, 2019 class. Mm -hmm. Hundreds of thousands of people take the same class from the same educator. They all know the same thing, right? Right. Whereas... If you have, like, your dad and maybe a business law professor from U of I or GCU or, you know, wherever else, mm -hmm. you have then different people's takes on it. You have different ideas, stuff they've learned in the field, mm -hmm. which, yeah, you can get from this one person at, you know, Google University, but at the same time, then you don't have all these people's experiences. You don't have the stories of, you know, taking somebody to court over theft of a ham sandwich. <laughs> and, like, you don't you don't have that stuff. You don't learn that stuff. You don't get, you know, the professor's personalities. Because, yeah, there are bad professors, good professors. You can have professors who are really, really good at lecturing, really, really good at, you know, keeping your attention and entertaining you and still having you learn. And... I think that's why traditional school will never die in general. Like we're never going to go all online or have one massive teacher, like one class. And then as far as like on ground stuff, online sucks. Mm, yes. Very, very much agree. <laughs> but it is kind of tailored to a certain group of learners. Exactly. And if it's not conducing, if it's not conducive to your specific type of learning, then it's very hard for you, but if it is, then it's great. Yeah, it's it's absolutely amazing, and that's that's fine. To everybody who can learn online and do that, and they're able to, you know, be responsible, keep track of your own stuff, uh, you know, get your stuff done, it'd be cool. But for me, I, you know, I have ADHD, so that makes it 10 times harder to do that and not sitting in a class and having a teacher staring directly at me. Mm -hmm. It just makes it hard. But plus, you know, the, the same thing that goes with all the other technology that we've talked about today traditional schools I don't think will ever die because of the novelty of them being in class being able to you know mess mm -hmm. around with your friends or going to school for sport like driving for sport exactly you know? and that kind of wraps back to what I was saying earlier about how these enormous mediums of doing things will never like completely die off but on your point of like you don't get that personalization with like <laughs> theft of a ham sandwich uh, which for those of you who don't know, that is a story. My dad used to be a lawyer before he was a business law professor. That is a story that uh, actually happened. There was a guy. Uh, well, we might get into that at some other point, but it was, it's a real story. That'd be another fun one if we just, like, 
our parents' stories. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, like, if everything is localized, like, it's all the same learning. Right. That's going to make it immensely easier for, like, specialized jobs, like trade school. They're like, okay, this person, I know for a fact, has already been taught all of this because everyone's been taught that. Mm-hmm. Right. So they'll be like, okay, I need to train them on this, this, and this. But theoretically, they should already know this. Maybe go over it lightly. Right. That's what I was going to say. Like, the difference between working at, let's say you're, uh, I don't know, you're a software engineer, right? Right. And, you know, if if the class is globalized, right, so everybody learns the same thing, then if you go to get a job at Google or versus getting a job at Apple, you know, they have different, I'm assuming, things right. to get trained on, then Google will be able to say, oh, well, they already know all of this. We just have to tell them this. And then Apple will be like, well, we already know all of this, but just to tell them this. And also the grade that you get in the class will differentiate people. And that's that's another thing that I was just thinking about because like with that, then what does differentiate you? If everybody has the same education from the same exact if class. If everyone's super, no one will be. Exactly. You take certain classes. Well, yeah, obviously you'll take your own major, you'll do whatever, but like then let's say over four years you have – a million people who took the same software engineering classes, science classes, mm-hmm. whatever, in the same major. Then well, you have a million or four million, whatever, who have the same occupation trying into trying to get into for software engineering. Google, Apple, you know, um, like any of these gaming a handful, companies, handful of different companies. And then, but we have that right now. The only yeah. thing that differentiates you is the university you attended, right? And like character merit, uh, right? And who you are, sadly, like. What, like racism stuff like that well in in not just that but also like you know uh, sam one of our buddies was talking to his professor and he said it finally clicked like these these employers don't care about your gpa and they don't care about well i mean it plays a little bit of a factor but it's not like the number one thing they want to know what kind of person you are and if you're a good worker or not and if you're going to be a good asset for their company right and i think you know because of Let's just call it Google University. Right. It's coming up. Um, you're, you're, they're all going to have the same education, but it's going to be you know those things that differentiate you as a person that uh, you get different characteristics. But on the flip side of that, if you're not attending a university where they have all these clubs, you don't get a chance to be like president of the housing and urban development club or whatever then that doesn't go on your resume. Right. It doesn't show these employers who you are as a person. It just shows them, you know, what you can get on the score of this test. Which is another thing that I think is kind of crazy about all the, all the online school because then, like you said, you can't be a part of all these clubs. And with that, like, then what do you have? You have your internship. Like, as far as, like, an in, in engineer goes, like, if I didn't have any of the clubs that I went to, pep band, any of that stuff... I have internships and then personal projects. As far as engineering exactly. goes, that's the only thing that I have. But with, with physical classes, especially for engineering, then you have class projects and, you know, sometimes, like this past year, me and a couple friends for one of our classes, it was like an entrepreneurship class, we started thinking about working on and actually manufacturing a wireless, or not a wireless, but a wireless and charging mouse pad that mm. had LEDs in it and it would be like a super gaming mouse pad and it would be full desk and we were thinking about all these things that we could do and like that's not something that you would get in an online class exactly so I think 
Um, I think uh, because of that, I think it'll weed out a lot of the smaller universities, like um, small private universities, uh, like Monmouth or like um, other stuff around here, Rocks, where they rely on the students actually coming in. And then the cost is huge Mm -hmm. for them because they don't have enough students. They don't have enough of that tuition money to keep them funded. But I think the bigger universities, like state-funded universities, of course, you know, your Yales, your Harvards or whatever, those are going to stick around. But I think this Google University is going to kind of maybe weed out some of the smaller colleges. Yeah. And that also brings up the conversation, could, with this Google University, since the cost is so small or whatever, you only have to get this one professor to record their class one time. Right. You don't have to pay them or anything other than once. And, I mean, you would have to update that stuff every few years. Yeah, of course. Of course. But would that pave the way for giving free college to all Americans? But then you also have to think about, like, you're not just going to have that one professor record those. Because then it's not an actual education because you're going to have to have, you know, let's say you had a student-to-faculty ratio of 13 to 1. We'll copy GCUs. We have 100,000 students total. And over the whole university, online and on ground, we have 100,000 students with a 13 to 1. That's that's pretty... Yeah, it's it's insane. Yeah, that's a lot of faculty. (laughs) But... The thing is, with that, then, like, Google University, you have a couple million people. Then you have mm-hmm. to hire teachers to grade everything. So it's not just going to be that one professor. And I think that's going to be a big difficulty on making the free college thing. And this is definitely something we can follow up on at, at a later point. But for now, we are going to have to end this one off. Uh, yeah. Uh, thanks for sticking around and hearing us talk about what our ideas of what the future of uh, technology and the world and education and cars and video games uh, might look like. Um, we'll talk b- back at you next week, but uh, for today, I've been Ethan. I was well. And I will never again be Ben. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we'll talk back at you next week.